my uh, routine after church on Sundays is to go home and uh, read the paper. After I read the paper, sleep for 20 minutes. And then I go outside in my backyard. Uh, my son built me a fire pit a couple of years ago, and I burn away the week. So I set a fire out there, and that fire every week reminds me, everything that went on this week, burn it up. It's the Lord's day. It's a new week. Forgetting what's behind. We're pressing on to what's ahead. And I also think, just like the Lord enjoyed the smoke of a good burnt offering, I enjoy the smoke of a good burn up week and that uh, don't have to live that week again. So uh, when I was sitting out by my fire pit last week, I thought, <clears throat> wow, I feel something in the back of my throat and it's not smoke uh, and it's not, it's a cold. And I know it is absolutely 100% impossible to get sick from a flu shot. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, you know how they do those medical studies and they say, we don't, now this happened right after this happened and it happened a hundred times. Now, we're not saying there's any correlation between those two things, but, so I don't know if it's because I'm with other sick people getting a flu shot, but every year after I get a flu shot, I get sick. So <clears throat> when you come in and see your wife for the first thing in the morning at, at the front row of church, before she says anything, she has two cough drops in her hands. And I say to her, have people been talking to you? She's like, yes. And I asked Kevin a question before the service, and he said, by the way, your voice sounds terrible. <laughs> I didn't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think it's husky and sexy, and I, <laughs> and I think, I, I think it's going to make you listen better. <laughs> Okay, there you go. <laughs> We've been working our way through First Peter. We're going to um, begin today on the second chapter of First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 uh, to 3. The text is on the screens and uh, in the bulletin. This is God's Word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. So... Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. <clears throat> so what Peter's been doing is laying out these great blessings, wonderful things that are true. And he ended the first chapter by telling us these, uh, some, uh, some particular things. So what goes before this text is him, having, him saying, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, he also says, since you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And he ends with that quotation about the, um, uh, the word of God lasting forever, that the grass fails, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord 
last forever and ever. So what he, when he moves into this section of the scriptures, what he's going to say to us is, so because of all these blessings and because of the preaching of the gospel, because of the truth of the word of God, and because it's at, alive and at work in your hearts and lives, there are certain things about you that need to be true. Next slide, Becky. So what these two things are, it gives us two commands. One is to put away or to take off like clothes. And that's that list there of malice, envy, hypocrisy, all of that. And then to long for or to crave the spiritual milk of the Lord's kindness. And that the ESV translates this, um, grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's probably better translated since you have tasted that the Lord is good. So all of this is for the result that we would grow up into salvation, not just being saved, but fully experiencing all that God has for us in Christ. And what the goal of this is, is change, growth, change. Now, there is a belief, maybe one you don't express, but one you believe in your heart that people don't change. Or within your own life, you think, uh, there are certain places in my life, certain things that are true of me that are never going to change. I can't change. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you're trusting Christ, the Spirit of God is alive in you, you have the word of the gospel preached to you, then change is not only impossible, not only possible, <coughs> but it's imperative. That what is happening here is, is that Peter says to these pressed, oppressed, persecuted exiles, is that as a result of all of these great things that God is doing in and through and for us in Jesus Christ, then something needs to happen to us. Our former way of living, a particular way of living, of focus upon self and that sort of stuff has to die away, and a new way of living that is involved in uh, uh, appropriating and uh, uh, tasting and enjoying the goodness of God to us in Jesus Christ must be the new thing that happens to us. So, next slide. And this change is absolutely imperative because if you don't change, you'll die. Um, We have uh, giant pine trees in our yard, beautiful trees. And over the years, we've lost a number of them to pine bark beetles. We had two big ones in the front yard that I could tell. Uh, One was dead and the other one was dying. They were right beside each other. And so I knew I needed to get them cut down because if they fell, they would take out a car or a kid or something, you know. It would be dangerous. So I hire a tree guy to come and take my trees down. Now, what I tell him is, is you call me when you're on the way to my house. I work a mile away from my house and I'll get there and meet you there. He's too smart for that. He gets to my house first and surveys all my trees. 
So that when I get there, I'm like, so what? How much for these two trees? Oh, that's nothing. Let me show you what you really need to have done. So immediately, I'm like, this guy's really smart. He got here before me. Now he's going to upsell me. I know exactly what he's doing. He must be a good tree guy. So he takes me in the backyard. We have this giant tree growing in the middle of our deck. It's beautiful. It saved our house twice in hurricanes by blocking other trees. He says, see that tree? I'm like, yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? He's like, you got to cut it down. You got to get rid of it. If you don't get rid of it, it's going to fall on your house. I'm like, what? The tree's awesome. Look at it. It's beautiful. It's green. There's nothing wrong with it. If you don't cut that tree down, it's going to fall on your house. So immediately, I'm in this conundrum. I'm like, this is, I do not want to spend this money. I hate spending money on stuff like this. And I don't know if that tree is any good or not. I probably could leave it, and it'll be fine. But if that tree falls on the house, and Marty knows I could have had it cut down, <laughs> life would be difficult. So I'm like, all right, cut it down. So he comes, they cut it, they do the tree work on Wednesday. Uh, I, I, I go to work very early on Wednesday, and I come home very late and every Wednesday. And so I go outside, and I'm standing on my deck with a flashlight in the dark, looking at the stump, beautiful stump, all these rings. And I look at the heart of the pine, except there, it isn't there. It's hollow. Space about this big all the way down to the ground, through the stump. If I hadn't cut that tree down, it would have fallen on my house. It was dead in the middle. Never knew it. Couldn't tell it. I thought it was great. I love my tree guy. <laughs> he, can, he can detect these things. If you don't grow... You don't have the spiritual milk of the gospel in your life. You might look great, strong, powerful. You might even look fruitful, but you're hollow and you're dying. And when the storm comes, you're going to fall. So Peter wants us to figure out how we get that rot out of our hearts and fill our bellies with the love and the goodness and the grace of God. And so he tells us to put off these things. Malice. Now you hear the word malice and you think, that seems harsh. There might be people I don't like. There might be people that I disdain. But I don't, I'm not malicious toward anyone. Well, malice simply means a desire to hurt someone with words or deeds either directly or indirectly. Maybe you're like, you know, bless their hearts. Just bless their hearts, you know. Oh, bless their little heart. Well, the fact of the matter is, one of the ways you can tell whether you have malice towards someone or not is when something bad happens to somebody, you secretly think, ah, good, there is a God. And... Uh, they got what was coming to them. I feel better about myself already. Those are indications to us <clears throat> that we uh, don't 
desired the blessing of others that we actually desire them to experience a little pain. Deceit. Not just lying, but deceit is a desire to gain some advantage or preserve some position by deceiving others. And that can be by telling lies, flat out lies, half-truths, you know, that we can kind of make ourselves feel better about, or not the whole truth. Now, this doesn't mean that what we're supposed to be doing is walking around and going up to people and saying, you know, um, you're gaining weight. What's wrong with you? Or where do you get your hair cut? Or where'd you get those shoes? You know, something like that. What we're getting at here is that love is our goal, but the fact of the matter is we're not loving when we uh, tell lies. Our goal is not honesty. Our goal is love, but honesty is a part of the way that love is served. Hypocrisy. Everybody's a hypocrite. Everybody fails to live up fully to what they say they believe. But there's a difference that when you set out to portray one thing and actually be something else, right? So when, it's, when, it's a, when you know down deep in your heart you personally set out to be deceptive about how you present yourself, then you're, that's what he's getting at, the hypocrisy that he's talking about. Envy. Envy is a big one because it's a desire, it's, it's related to coveting. It's a desire for some privilege or blessing <coughs> that belongs to another with resentment that another has it and you don't. Usually this indicates disappointment with God. In other words, you look around and you think, it's not just, I like their house, I like their car, I like those things they have, but you think, that's really nice, I don't I have it? What's wrong with me that I don't have it? Why do they get to have it and I don't get to have it? God, what's wrong with you that they get to have it and I don't get to have it? And then slander, and that is the desire for revenge and self-enhancement, often driven by the deeper desire to deflect attention from our own failings. Typically, when I run into somebody who comes to me to tattle on somebody else, they're tattling, and this is from years of being married to a first grade teacher. When kids come and tattle, nine times out of ten, why are they tattling? Because they did something. They did something. But I'm going to deflect attention by getting you to to nail that kid. Because what they did, look at that, look at that. Don't look at what I did. Get them, right? So when I slander, I'm like, gee, I feel bad about myself but at least we think I'm not that guy, right? And so the worst light we can put another in by slander, the less our own darkness shows. And of course, slander is almost always in a context where the person spoken of cannot give their side of the story. When I first got into ministry, um, one of the things that would often happen is somebody would come in my office and complain about somebody else. And I would hear them. And I would think, really? I'm going to go out and I'm going to arrest that person. I'm going to put a time out in front of the church and we're going to burn them at the stake. They're just terrible. They are the worst ever. And lo and behold, if you don't do that and you go say, hey, can you tell me about how you're doing and can you talk, talk to me a little bit about it? All of a sudden you're like, wait, they're not so much a villain after all. 
They're not the terrible person I thought they were. Huh, that's fascinating. There's two sides to the story. Well, slander says, no, there's not. They're only evil. And though they're not here to defend themselves, I am the only one with the truth. And so they're bad, really bad, right? So it's interesting when Peter lists these vices as the things that need to go away, they're not the kind of things that you think are the technicolor sins. He doesn't say adultery. He doesn't say drunkenness. He doesn't say stealing or any of the things that we think, oh, those are terrible. These are the kind of things that tear relationships and communities apart. And so, so what he's getting at is, look, you know, as people who have been loved and blessed by Jesus Christ, this is what needs to happen within your hearts. You need to put this stuff away, right? And so that's exactly what, he, what he's getting at. And so the way to do that, the way to put that stuff away, is to crave the spiritual milk of the Lord's kindness. Now you have to see the interplay here between craving the milk, right? Where he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up in the salvation, if indeed you, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's an interplay between craving the milk and tasting the kindness of the Lord, and the kindness of God leaves us to repentance. Now, you hear that and you think, oh yeah, milk is for babies. But, and, and that's true. But, but what he's getting at here is not just that milk is for babies. Milk is the only thing that keeps babies alive. It's all they got, right? So he's not thinking of milk as an infant diet to be replaced by meat. What he's trying to get at here is the milk of the abiding word is simply the believer's necessary food. Can't live without it. When when my dad was five years old, his mother died in childbirth. Uh, there wasn't a doctor probably within 30, 40, 50 miles. Uh, my grandmother was attended in her labor by her um, 21-year-old daughter and her 16-year-old daughter. And first baby was born. Perfect. Everything was great. Of course, there's no ultrasound. Nobody ever put a stethoscope up to her. They didn't know there was another baby in there. And then he was born. Two boys. But in the midst of all of this and in all the trouble, she bled to death. And so my grandfather was left with a house full of kids. Two babies. Um, And my dad, as a five-year-old, and his sister, his little sister, as a three-year-old, had a job. Now their house uh, didn't have, uh, it had windows. It was, was in August. It was hot. They didn't have screens on the windows. So you had to open the windows. And so the flies came in. And so my dad and his three-year-old little sister, my Aunt Bernice, their job was to stand over the babies and keep the flies off of them. He remembers that like it was yesterday. And what he remembers about those babies is that there was one of them who was a real jerk. He screamed all the time. He was red in the face. He demanded to be fed. He was screaming all the time. My dad was like, I didn't like him very much. 
You didn't hurt him, did you? He's like, no, but I decided right then I was never going to like that kid. There was another one. He was pleasant, hardly ever cried, sweetest baby ever, and he wouldn't eat. And they tried every cow in the county. They tried every goat in the county. And he wouldn't eat. And in six weeks, he died. The one that screamed the whole time, he lived to 80. He had to be fed. You're going to feed him. Or he's going to make your life miserable. That way he knew instinctively by God's grace that he had to eat. And so he took whatever nourishment, the milk that was given him, and it caused him to grow and to live and to thrive and to life. Well, the, the fact is, the, the truth is, that's it for us. The, 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 the truth is, if, if you're not changing, if, 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 if life, if you feel stuck, if there's no growth in your life, part of the reason why is you don't have the food to feed that. <laughs> what we see here is that we in, 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 in the Word, in the Scriptures, in what is preached to us, in the Gospel that is proclaimed to us, we find Jesus and the good news about Him. So the milk is not simply moral instruction, it is a revelation and a declaration of the kindness of God to us in Jesus Christ. You won't grow if you read your Bible every day. And you don't find the grace of God in it. If all you find in it is instruction, if you don't see in the Scripture the narrative of the love of God, if you don't see in the Scripture the story of God loving and wooing and drawing back and redeeming and dying for and rising again for His rebel people, if you don't see that, if you don't see the Scriptures as a love story of God pursuing a wayward spouse, if you don't see that in the Scriptures, you can read it all day long and you won't grow. But if you go to the Scriptures and you see, there's Jesus in there loving me. There's Jesus in there at work. There's Jesus in there living and dying and rising again for me. There's Jesus in the Old Testament as, the, as, as God says to Eve that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. He'll break that alliance that you made with the evil. So as you look at that and you think about that, what we see here is that's how change happens because we are struck again at every turn in the Scriptures by the kindness and the gentleness and the patience and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God as He loves us, as He pursues people, even as He rebukes and challenges, even as He brings consequences. All of those things are intended to turn us to repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness and the gentleness of God that changes us and orients us away from slander and envy and malice and hypocrisy. And so as you look at that, as you see that, that's what happens here. The, the, the Bible, in a, in, in a nutshell, is a love story where God comes and draws and woos a people to himself. We love a good love story. Um, we, we have a, a movie that we like to watch at our house. Um, 
Well, we've watched it a couple of times. I wouldn't say we love to watch it, but it's a good movie called McFarland, USA. You should watch it, especially if you don't know anything about cross country. It'll teach you how it's the best sport in high school. It's the team sport, best team sport. Kevin Costner, you got to get past that. But if I was Kevin Costner, I would think I was better than you too. But um, he's a coach, true story, of a uh, high school in California populated by immigrants, farm workers, poor people, and uh, they've never had a cross-country team, and he gets some guys together, and they run. Now, they run after they get up in the morning and work in the fields, and after they're done at school, they go and they work in the fields and they run. And so he takes these guys and they win the very first state championship ever in the history of cross country, high school cross country in California. And in the middle of the story, there's, of course, it's a, mod, you know, it's a movie, so there's got to be a love story. So the captain of the team... And the coach's daughter, it's so cheesy. I mean, <laughs> you're up to your eyeballs in it. And you're like, I hope at the end of the movie, because you know at the end of the movie they're going to tell you where all these guys are, how great they are, all their accomplishments. You're going to see the captain and the coach's daughter and ten little kids out running for the cross-country team. <laughs> Never happened. I think they just put it in the movie because they know people love love stories. <clears throat> Don't you love a love story? It's what the Bible is. So as we read the scriptures and we see that and we look for Jesus Christ and we cry out to the Spirit to show us in the midst of that, even when we're rebuked, even when we're challenged, even when we're told you're a malicious, hypocrite, hypocrite slandering, uh, envious person, and I love you. <laughs> and I want you to be different. And here's the pathway to being different is through the love and grace that Jesus Christ died to give you. He died for all of that. Turn your back on that. Taste this goodness. Taste this milk. Taste this thing that is so wonderful. And these, this malice and envy and slander and hypocrisy will taste bitter to you. And you won't want it. You'll only want the sweetness and the goodness that's ours in Jesus Christ. <laughs> so growth and confidence in the goodness of God, the kindness of God leads to growth. Because growth unto salvation is always growth in and by faith. So when we forget the Lord's kindness, we tend toward the old ways that we're supposed to have outgrown. When you forget that God is for you, when you forget that God is good, when you forget that Jesus died, it's no wonder that you're going to be malicious. It's no wonder that you're going to be slanderous. It's no wonder that you're going to be envious. But when you're caught up and you see, you know what, God's good to me. When Marty and I went out there to the, on the deck and I was shining the light into the stump and we saw the hole in it, I was thanking God, God, you're good. You're really good. Thank you that you did this. And that tiny little example there 
points me to the bigger one of his love and his grace to me in Jesus dying and rising again for me. So growth is appropriate and the ultimate sign of the life and believer. So when we, when we give in to these old ways, when we give in to malicious talking and slander and hypocrisy, we're like um, an adult acting like a kid. We're like an adult acting like a kid. Now, you may think it's funny when you see Will Ferrell running around acting like a fraternity boy in his 50s. But you don't want to live with Will Ferrell when he's doing that. You don't want him to be your brother. You don't want him to be uh, your dad. You don't want him to be the kind of person that you want to hang out with. It's unseemly. It's not right. It's not cute. It's not attractive. It's no more attractive than than a 60-year-old acting like he's in high school. And so... What we see here and what, what happens to us is the way that, this, that the Lord changes us and moves us out of this is he proclaims to us in his word, I'm good. Taste, taste, taste. Drink to the fullness of the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God. If you do a little research, one of the things you'll find is that in the early church, when someone got converted, they came to faith, they were catechized, they were trained, they got baptized, they took the Lord's Supper. In many early churches, after their first time at communion, someone handed them a cup of milk. You can look it up. I didn't make it up. To remind them to taste the kindness and the goodness of God, that their destiny was a land flowing with milk and honey, and that God would give them all that they would need to grow fully into the salvation Jesus died to give them. Let's pray. Those of you who are stuck, those of you who think you can't change, those of you who would rather not change, those of you who actually are content and have built kind of a community around your immaturity of slander and envy and hypocrisy. Let's ask that God would change us and change us by reminding even as those things are true of us, He gives to us his grace. He gives to us his mercy and he is for us and he has not stopped pursuing us. And that his desire for us is life, full life, good life, filled with his kindness and his goodness and his gentleness. Let me pray. Lord, we we need a sense of this today. Forgive us. We are um, quick to um, give up. We are quick to think that we're stuck and this is all we'll ever be. Thank you for the kindness that you display in the life and death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for us today that you would help us to take you at your word, 
that you would help us today to see your goodness and to revel in it. And as we revel in it, that we would see that the malice and the slander and the hypocrisy is bitter and ugly, immature, and not filling or life-giving at all. So bless us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.